All right, let's get to our message. If you would uh, open your Bibles to Matthew 16, we're going to finish Matthew 16 today. We'll take a little dip uh, at the end of our time in Matthew 17, Uh, but that's where we're going to be. So we'd love for you to follow along, uh, even if you just want to open Matthew 16 up on your phone, would encourage you to do that so that as I'm reading, uh, you can be reading along uh, with us as well. Question of the day. I want to start with with this. Here's the question of our time together. Uh, How do you have faith? How do do you have faith? How How do you or how did you get faith? If you are a professed follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, you're having coffee with someone, they know that you're a believer in Christ, and they ask you the question like, how do you, how do you have faith? How do you get faith? How would you answer that question? How would you explain that to someone? Perhaps you might say, well, it's just simply believing. It's believing in something that you can't see, or you might have a Bible verse or something to share with them to help them understand about faith. Uh, Or maybe someone in this room, uh, you're asking yourself uh, that question this morning. How, how, I mean, uh, I don't, I'm coming around, I've, I've got questions, but I don't totally understand what it means to have faith in God. Um, there's a very well-known and oft quoted, you like how I use that word oft there? Oft, short for often. Drip, drip. The first service today, by the way, the first service. So you got to give the first service people credit because they're more spiritual than you. They came to 830 on spring forward day. I mean, let's just give them that. Can we just give them? I'm just kidding. They're not more spiritual than you, but they are more gritty than you are. We will give them that. We will give them that. Uh, and I, you know, was just trying to be, because it was kind of, was a smaller, it was kind of quiet. I'm trying to have some fun up here. And it was just, I didn't even get a courtesy laugh out of that. But thank you <laughs> for the courtesy laughs. Um, a very well-known and oft-quoted Christian statement about faith in God is this. We are saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace. We're saved we, from death to life, from darkness to light. We are, we're lost, we're found. We're saved. God has saved us by grace, by his unmerited favor, by his gift to us. Nothing that we have done to earn it or deserve it, but by his free gift of grace through faith. When I was um, a teenager, I think maybe one of the first verses that I memorized as a teenager, other than John 3.16, was Ephesians 2.8, which is what this statement is from. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Faith in who? Faith in who? Faith in what? Big questions. There is nothing more important than knowing who Jesus is. Amen? There's nothing more important than you and I and us knowing who Jesus really is. This is not merely just an academic conversation or a thought to ponder. Uh, It is a question, I believe, that is vital for all people and especially for the church. Our text uh, today is really important theologically related to who Jesus 
really is, who he uniquely is, and the importance of understanding that we, we understand and we believe and we know who Jesus is because the Father has revealed it to us. It's not something that we can muster up or figure out or reason it. Uh, it is something that the, that the Father reveals to us. And the revelation is a couple of really important things. Who is Jesus? A revelation of his person, one person, two natures, fully divine nature, divine nature, fully human, human nature, two natures, one person, faith in Jesus and his person and faith in his work in the cross of Calvary and in his resurrection. You don't get there by human reasoning, Jesus will explain to the disciples today, only the Father reveals this truth to a heart that is responsive to the truth of who Jesus really, really is. And so with that, let's get into the text. I'm going to be in Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 to 20 uh, to start. These will be familiar passages for most of us. Peter's confession of Christ And starting in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is north, due north of the Sea of Galilee, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, like, what's the chatter out there? What's everybody talking about? Like, I mean, we're, we're, we've, we've been in Gentile territory, we've been in, in Capernaum on the Jewish side, there's, they've seen lots of miracles, there's, there's crowds following us, everybody. what's the chatter? What, is, what are people saying about me? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus personalizes it. What about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You didn't get this from man. You didn't get this by human reasoning. It was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven revealed to you the truth. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I will give you an anointing, and I will give you the authority from the Father. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. As parents, Lindsay and I have five kiddos, and our desire, like I believe any Christian parent, our desire in our home is to cultivate faith in our kids. And so we talk about Jesus, we 
play worship songs in our home. We engage them about faith. We bring them to church. We put them in classes. We want to cultivate an environment of faith for them. But we also know that their faith has to become their own faith. It cannot be faith connected to my faith. It has to be personal faith for them. And it was time in the discipleship journey of Jesus and the 12 disciples, in his journey of equipping them, teaching them, showing them, for their faith to be personalized, for them to understand and know who Jesus uniquely is. And he asked them this personal question, who do you say that I am? It's a personal question that demands a response. Would you agree? Can you imagine sitting there with Jesus and him asking, but okay, yes, I hear what you're saying about them, but who do you say that I am? It's a question that demands an answer from the disciples. And we see Peter's response, his confession, which Jesus said was by revelation from God. He says simply this, you are Christ. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. The Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one. What Peter, and this is really important to grab onto, what Peter is saying here, it is a proclamation that Jesus is divine. That's what Peter is saying. You are God. You are divine. You are the son of the living God. It's true faith in who Jesus truly is truly is. It's not, Peter's not just saying like, well, I like what we've been doing. I like what we've been seeing. And like the whole like five loaves and two fish and 5,000 men, women and children, 20,000 probably. And then we got 12 basketfuls. And man, that day that I walked on the water before I got afraid, that was dope. I mean, that was really awesome. Uh, He's not saying like, I like being around this and I think you're teaching us good things and this is good for me. And there's hoopla around you and I get to be a part of that. I'm kind of on the inner circle of this whole thing. Like that's not what he's talking about. What he is saying is you are divine. True faith in who Jesus truly is. And let's look at Jesus' response. When, when Jesus hears Peter's clear and bold confession of the truth, he was filled with joy and he goes, you are blessed. You are blessed. You see, you know, you understand. And know this, this was revealed to you by my Father. And then immediately after this confession, Jesus gives the disciples a vision, and I want to unpack this vision that he gives in a couple of uh, points. Uh, of the vision from the moment of the confession is that Jesus was going to build his church on that true confession of Peter. And there's some confusion around this, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the confusion of what this means. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Um, I want you to see this through the lens of Peter. How would Peter describe this? And Peter does. He, la- he lays it out for us really clearly in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. You don't need to turn over there, but I want you to listen to how Peter articulates what he hears from Jesus and what he teaches in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. And I don't have it Mark, so give me a second. 
and I can't read my Bible without my reading glasses. Um, so here's, a, for, here's, here's what Peter is saying by uh, helping us understand what Jesus is teaching here. Verse 4, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, Peter speaking of Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, speaking to people, you also meet us like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, which says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. When Peter says the living stone, singular, and he quotes Isaiah 20, 28, and he says the cornerstone, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about Jesus? Thank you. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the living stone. And then he says in the passage, you also like living stones. Who are the living stones? Us. We are the living stones. We are the holy priesthood of God being built into a spiritual house. What's the spiritual house? The church. Peter is helping us understand the confess, his confession that Jesus is the Christ. He is the living God. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the living stone. That is what the church is built upon, Jesus. And we, we are living stones as we continue to believe and we have faith in the, the truth that, that God has given us, the rock that is Jesus himself. Peter represents the 12 the first to confess Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And then Jesus said he would erect his church with many more living stones on the cornerstone of himself. It's a significant moment in the discipleship journey of the disciples. That's the first thing. That's the first vision. And then the second part of the vision is this. The eternal church that is on the offensive... Why do I say the offensive? Because Jesus says, this, this church that I'm gonna build on the rock, the cornerstone that is Jesus himself and you are living stone, it is an eternal church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who's on the offensive? The eternal church. And here's the vision for it. The gates of Hades, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor of death, cannot overcome the eternal life we have in Jesus. Death cannot thwart the resurrection power of Jesus the Christ and the living stones that are in him. Faith in his person, his person, one person, two natures, human nature, divine nature. That's what Peter was confessing. Faith in his person and his work on the cross, his resurrection secures eternal life beyond death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is how, this truth, this is how we are enabled 
This is how we are enabled, church, to have hope in our sufferings. The eternal church that the gates of hell cannot withstand us. This is how we have hope when we suffer. This is, this is how we can sing songs like, it is well. That's, that's how we do it. This is how we are enabled to have a peace that passes understanding or a peace, the peace of God that makes no earthly natural sense. Why? Because it's from heaven and it's been a revelation to us and we have peace and hope even in the midst of pain and Suffering. I want to take you back um, this morning to the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus from John chapter 11. We spent some time in John 11 last week, and I want to take us back there. So if you'll turn, to, turn over forward in your Bible to John 11 with me for a moment. If you weren't here last week or you don't know the story, uh, Jesus was very close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, um, sister's brother. Okay, Lazarus got sick, really sick. Word, word got to Jesus that he was sick and they were calling for him to come. And Jesus lingered for a couple of days before he came. And in that window of time, Lazarus passed away. And Mary and Martha asked Jesus the question that so many of us ask when we are in pain and when we are suffering and we're waiting and when we are confused. And they basically just said this, if you would have been here, God, where were you? Where? If you have only been here, this cry of the heart and pain and suffering. This is Jesus' response to Martha. And he says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection and at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's the truth statement of Jesus. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. That's the proclamation of truth of Jesus to Martha in her grief. And then he asked her this question. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into the world. What do you notice if we look at John 11 in this story and we compare it to the discipleship teaching of Jesus and the disciples in Matthew 16, what do you notice about Jesus' question? Both circumstances, it's a personal question. To Mary or to Martha, he says, Do you? here's the truth. The truth is I'm the resurrection and the life. That's the truth. But do you believe this, Martha? To Peter and the disciples, it was also a personal question. Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And then what do you notice about Martha's response? Similar to Peter's in Matthew 16, isn't it? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God, which Jesus said that confession of that truth is how the church gets built. 
Same question, personal question, same responses. Faith in Jesus is personal. And faith in who Jesus really is, his person and his work is revealed to us by the Father. Whether it's a Canaanite Gentile woman, at the beginning of Matthew 16, we talked about that passage last Sunday, Canaanite Gentile woman, and Jesus affirmed her great faith. Or you're a Jewish disciple, it's personal. It's a personal question. Whether it's Martha or Peter, the church is built on the cornerstone of Jesus and the true confession that Jesus is the Christ. I want to put this up. This is, this is the proclamation. This is the truth. Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Jesus is one person and two natures, human and divine, are inseparable and Jesus will forever be the God-man, fully God and fully human, two distinct natures in one person. And his work is the cross of Calvary for us and his resurrection. And this is core, essential Christian theology, belief, doctrine. You walk away from the person of Jesus, one person, two natures, you walk away from that. You walk away from the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. You walk away from Christianity. This is the message. This is the hope for the world. And this is what Jesus is celebrating in the passage with Peter's proclamation of that truth. And it's what he affirmed in Martha as well in John chapter 11. The question for every single person is this, but what about you? Do you believe this. The context here, it's really significant. We understand that it's personal. We understand that we need to see rightly who Jesus really is. And the context here is what we see right after this confession of Peter. Where does Jesus go in his teaching? Where does he go in his, this discipleship journey with the disciples after this confession? And I believe it's really, really important for us to put these two stories side by side. I believe that they're intertwined because the discipleship implications of this are huge for us. And what we see in the very next verse in John 16 is this. And let's read this next passage to the end of the chapter, verses 21 to 26. From that time on, from what time on? From the moment that Peter made that confession, the true confession that Jesus is the Christ, from that time on, listen to what happens in the discipleship journey. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. From that time on, Jesus began to talk with the disciples again and again and again about the cross and the resurrection. And Peter, as we'll see, got tripped up on that. I mean, Peter, I mean, if there's, if there's a disciple that, if you want to just do a, 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 a study of Peter, it will encourage you because the bro is just, he is in process. He is in process, and what we're going to see here is pretty 
brazen of Peter. By the way, the same Peter who just said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, and then Jesus is like, you are so blessed, Peter. Like right after that moment, like just like this happens. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Can you, can you just, can you imagine that for a second? Like, Jesus, let me tell you how this is gonna go. It ain't gonna go the way you just said it's gonna go. It's gonna go a whole different way. And that didn't go over real well with Peter. It just didn't go over real well with him. He was confused. He was under temptation. He was under lies. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man, messianic title, Jesus is the Christ. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Huge, huge context here. Again, from this time on, from the moment of Peter's confession and the vision of Jesus that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against from that moment, he begins to talk with them again and again about his cross and his resurrection. And Peter, I think Peter was just like, uh, perhaps full of the Old Testament prophecies of a, of, a, of a powerful king, of a king that's gonna overthrow Rome, who's gonna rightly establish Israel again, and those expectations, and probably, I don't wanna really talk too much about you know, Isaiah 53 and a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, which is also a messianic um, prophecy in the scripture. He, 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 wants, he wants it now, and he rebukes Jesus. He had just received those highest words of praise, and now he receives, I can't imagine, a stronger possible rebuke for saying never to the cross. I think to understand this a little bit more fully, it's helpful if we think about Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Um, If you want to go back later, look at this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. He faces his own temptation from Satan himself. Um, and if, if, if there's a number of things that, that Satan tempts Jesus with, uh, but if we were going to summarize all of the temptations, they're all summarized basically in this way. All of Satan's temptations were that Jesus could reclaim the world without the cross. And Jesus did not give in to the temptations because the whole mission of Jesus was the cross of Calvary for the sins of of the world. This was the same temptation that Peter was under and that Peter gave into that we can have Jesus without the cross. 
and Jesus knew exactly where Peter was coming from. He was under the temptation and the lies of Satan and the world's lies himself. And therefore, in this moment, Peter was a stumbling block or a hindrance to his mission, which was always the cross. I want to put up some verses to help us understand this. To know Christ, this is what we have to hold in this. To know Christ, to believe upon Christ, to follow Christ is to know, believe, and follow Christ in his death and in his resurrection, in his suffering and in his resurrection. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but I've overcome the world. We don't get Christ. We don't know Christ. We don't, we don't follow Christ. We don't proclaim Christ without the cross of his grace for us. And Paul would say it this way in Romans 6, 3, don't you know, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, who know Christ, who have a relationship with Christ, if we're baptized into Christ, we are also baptized into his death. In Christ, we are, we are identified with him in his death and in his resurrection. In the cross, we see that he carried my sin on my behalf for me. And in the resurrection, we see that he rose again without my sin on my behalf. Let me say that again, so make sure. In the cross, we see that he carried my sins on my behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God so that we might have right standing before God. So in the cross, we see that he carried my sins on my behalf. And in the resurrection, we see that he rose again without my sin on my behalf, that we are identified with Christ in his cross and in his resurrection. Paul will say this in Galatians 2.20, personalized, faith is personalized. Paul says this, I have been, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, I'm identified with Christ. I pick up my cross, meaning my old nature My old nature has died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. My old nature has been buried, and I have a new nature. I'm a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ, you have been made new. You have been born again. Paul is helping us understand this. And I pick up my resurrection, meaning that my new nature is raised with him. This is what Jesus is pointing out in verse 25. Look at verse 25 again in Matthew 16. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, I have been crucified with Christ. My old way, my old nature, my old way of thinking, the world's lies, it's all crucified. I I identify with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. You You don't save your life by rejecting the cross. 
your life is saved because of the cross. Your life is saved by picking up your cross. Meaning this, his cross is for you. So picking up your cross is picking up his cross, his death for you. It's your cross because it's his cross and it's his cross of grace, unmerited favor because he died on the cross, we don't have to. His life for my life. It's personal. And to deny yourself is to deny your ability to save yourself apart from the cross of Calvary. To say, I, I can't do this. I can't save myself. I deny my own ability to save myself. To deny yourself is to deny your old way of worldly thinking and living and seeing it as dead with Jesus. You have been crucified with Christ. Your old nature has been crucified and you have a new nature. To deny yourself is to take up the cross of his grace for you. Galatians 2.21, next verse. A lot of people know Galatians 2.20, but sometimes we forget to think about Galatians 2.21. And I would just say as an encouragement, like if you're looking for a couple of verses to memorize these days, which would be an encouragement for me to you, Galatians 2.20 and 2.21, those are good ones. Those are good ones. I do not. He had just said I had been, I've been crucified with Christ. His, the whole environment of his proclamation, of his theology is grace. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness or right standing before God could be gained through the law, through doing, through checking boxes, through following all of the laws of the Mosaic law, if it could be gained that way, Christ died for nothing. Christ is your life. His cross of grace has been made for you. It is ours. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. This is the way of abundant life, hope, peace, and joy. Now, simple question for us. Is Jesus, like now, still on the cross of Calvary? Where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God. How many times did Jesus have to go to the cross for the sins of the world? One time. Uno. That's it. The work is done. One sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And now we see this throughout the Gospels. We see this throughout the entire New Testament over and over and over again. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the Father to say, it's time. Time for what? The second coming, new heaven, new earth. He's at the right hand of God. Where are you? Like, I know you're sitting in a hard wooden pew like, I know that, but like in the spiritual reality of our faith, where are you if you believe in Jesus? If you, where are you in the spiritual reality of your faith? Paul says this in Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where's Jesus? 
at the right hand of the Father. To deny yourself and to pick up your cross simply means to receive, church, the work of his grace for you. It does not mean that for the rest of my life, I am walking around literally with a heavy wooden cross, dragging it and calling this abundant life and saying, you should really try this. It's really, really, really hard, but it's really, really supposed to be the good news. But it doesn't feel like good news because it's heavy. Jesus died one time, and he's inviting you to believe in his work of his cross for you. Your cross is simply his cross for you. That's the good news. That's the good news. And I continue to deny myself, to deny the lies of the world and the lies of my flesh. And I'm reminded in my life that I am free in Christ and that his atonement for my sin has forgiven me. And as far as the east is from the west, he has removed my sin from me. And I'm free in Christ. And I proclaim the cross of Jesus and his grace to you. And as I'm doing this, I am taking up my cross. This isn't about me. This is about Jesus. This is about his work for you and your freedom. And our work is simply to receive it, to receive it. And when the cross of Jesus' grace works in you, a resurrection always follows. You are sitting at the right hand of the Father with Christ. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Do you believe this? Do you really believe it? Let's follow Jesus. How do we have faith? How do we get faith? Here's what Paul says in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is Jesus and his grace for you. And we deny ourselves, our own ability to save ourselves We deny ourselves and we take up the cross, which is the cross of his grace, and we believe in his sacrifice for us, and we believe that we are seated with him in heaven, and we are forgiven and free, and we are made new. Amen? And the gates of death, Hades, hell, will not prevail against you and me and us. And even when we must suffer, And we will, and we will, church. We can sing the hymn that we're gonna sing today, it is well with me, and it makes no sense unless we have faith in the living God. I wanna close with just reading the story of Jesus's transfiguration in Matthew 17. Because it is remarkable to me that Peter, that Peter got to go along. Again, context. Sometimes we look at this like, ah, oh, man, Peter, James, and John. They got to be there with Jesus in the transfiguration. Yeah, the same Jesus, the same Peter that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, if you want, if you want a, a biblical example of like radical grace, just read the end of 16 and the beginning of 17, the life of Peter. It is unbelievable. Now, remember what Jesus said in 28. I'll tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see, they see the Son of Man coming 
in his kingdom. There's a whole lot of commentary on that verse, by the way. I mean, you want to go in that rabbit hole? Like, just trust me, I've been digging in this passage all week. There's a ton of stuff out there. What does he mean by that? I'm just, I'm a simple guy from a simple little farm town, and and I'm just, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I just go, well, what, what does the next passage say? And the next passage seems to be connected to the end of 16. And let's look at what Peter gets to see. Peter, you guys, Peter. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, of course, Peter. Peter always chimes in. He can't help himself. I mean, he can't help himself. Peter said this to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. Shh, Peter, shh. And a voice from the cloud said this, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Peter, stop talking so much and listen to Jesus. By the way, when did we hear that statement from the father? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. At the baptism. Okay, same message. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid, he said. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain, and Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. From that time on, From that time on, he began to teach them and talk with them again and again and again and again about the cross of his grace and his resurrection. This is the message. This is the good news of Jesus, his work and his person. Who do you say? What do you say? What do you believe? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your word, your living word. Lord, we desire, um, need our own revelation. Whether we're in a season of joy or in a season of sorrow, or we're in a season of rooted faith, or we're in a season of doubt, or we just don't know. Whether we're hurting, whether we have healing, wherever we are, Lord, I just pray a revelation, a fresh revelation for each person to see you, Jesus, for who you really are, the living 
God, Jesus the Christ, and that we would believe and know and have hope and peace and joy today at the truth, the truth of your cross and your resurrection. And I just speak the faith, I just speak faith over each person that we would deny ourselves, that we would take up our cross, which is your cross for us, the cross of your sacrifice, and that we would see our old selves crucified with Christ, and that we would see our new selves raised with Christ, and that would bring great hope to us and great peace to us, not just today, but for every day that you give us on this earth before we see you face to face. And so we worship you now in response. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.